Blog Talk Radio. the real deal recovery talk with veronica valley and julie maida i'm veronica and this is my co-host julie hi julie hi veronica how are you well i'm really relieved that we finally got the technology to work i have to say we're that uh, many years old we're like (laughs) want to do a podcast but can't figure it out for the life of us years old you know, I have two sons. They're like five and two. But honestly, the reason that I have them is so that they can grow up and manage my technology and social media. So they're not, they're not managing your technology already because I have a seven and four-year-old and they both know more about my iPhone than I do. So <laughs> I, can't wait to, I can't wait for that day and when they can shovel snow as well. So yeah. Julie, Julie and I are sober twins, which means we got sober at literally – exactly the same second so our sobriety day is may 2nd 2000 and um yay so i'm going to tell you how i met julie because we met on facebook and i have to be honest julie i just liked your sass you are a sassy lady and i like sassy ladies (laughs) well thank you very much i that's i found my sass in sobriety actually really yeah i mean no, you well, just... I was like, I was, I thought I was sassy, but really I was just obnoxious. But yeah, like sass when you're drunk is a little, that's like subjective, I think. Like I was just pretty obnoxious <laughs> in, the, in the vein of sassiness. Like I tried my best, but really I probably just ended up being one of those girls you wanted to grab by the forehead and throw up against the wall. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> So we interacted on Facebook quite a lot, and Julie is the founder of Sober Mommies, which we're going to be talking about um, in a little bit. And uh, we interacted, and I just, I've got to know so many great people uh, on social media and online, um, and just, you know, met quite a few of them in person, and I've not been disappointed with any of them. Everyone's been fabulous in real life. But I knew, I really hoped when I met you in person that you would be as fabulous as I suspected you were. And you didn't let me down. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you so much. I felt the same way about you. Yeah, you, I think you said that when we met at She Recovers that you're like, I, I knew I was going to like you. Yeah. And I felt the same way. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that it comes with a bit of age um, and then also clarity. And I found that um, slowly but surely through, you know, staying sober a little, like one day at a time that like my confidence and, you know, I'm less worried about what you think of me. Uh, and I can just be myself, which allows for people to actually like me, <laughs> which is quite a, an incredible concept um, that took me like, you know, 30 years and over 10 years of recovery to figure out. But, you know, it's nice to be there, I guess. <laughs> Well, I, I really, so I, I've known bits and bobs of your story, and I want to take our first episode because we're going to do a series of podcasts on a bunch of different subjects. And, you know, if you have know us at all on social media or through our blogs, you'll know that both Julie and I are quite frank, and we do have opinions, and we do like to share them. So we have uh, a lot of stuff to say about recovery and sobriety. Um, but first, I just really, really want to get to know you. So just for everybody who's listening, Julie founded Sober Mommies. She has a blog, Sober Mommies, and also Next Life, No Kids, which is really funny. Um, well, it, it's, it's supposed, it, it started out as, as supposed to be funny, but it's turned into um, a little bit more than, you know, like it's, it's kind of, it started out as a humor blog, but it's turned into a uh, parenting with mental illness, let's laugh so that, you know, we can survive the day, kind of a, kind of a block. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So I, I know what I was doing just over 17 years ago, on May 2nd, 2000. Mm-hmm. Can we start mm-hmm. with what were you doing? Um, I was coming to after a failed suicide attempt. I was, oh. um, 
I was 22 and I had the night before come to another end because uh, I had had many ends um, throughout my uh, short but glorious drinking career. Um, I started drinking when I was 15 and it was fun and it was an escape and it made me all the things that I wanted, to, that, that I thought I wanted to be. Um, and then at the end of my drinking, it was making me everything I didn't want to be. Um, and so um, I had been asked by the woman that I was staying with uh, to vacate the premises. Um, and in the most loving way, because she was really this amazing woman um, who I still owe a great amends to. Um, and I pray about that all the time. But so she was just this amazing woman. And, um, and I was staying with her because my sob story, you know, my father had thrown me out because I, there was so much going on. Um, and I stayed with her for about probably three, three-ish months. I was working as a cocktail waitress down the street from her house, which I don't suggest to anyone who thinks they may have a problem with alcohol. Um, but so I lost that job and it was basically just a, a manipulation show. Um, and that was kind of the, that summed up my life at that point. Um, I was kind of a manipulation show and, um, and so she had kind of, she'd gotten my number and she figured me out. And um, I had lost that job as a cocktail waitress probably a month before. Um, and I was struggling, quote unquote, to, to help her with, with, um, oh boy, with, um, you know, putting in my share for rent and helping her in any way. Um, but I still had money to go out and get wasted. Uh, and I think that she just caught on and she sat me down and she said very nicely on, um, I guess, April, the end of April, the last day of April, she said, um, you know, it's been a great run. Um, it's been nice to have you here, uh, but it's time for you to move on. And, um, and my solution at that time was to get drunk. Um, that was it. Of that was course. like my only solution. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Like, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Duh. Like nobody likes me. I'm going to go get wasted. And so um, I called my friend Stacy and Alicia. And to be honest, like I say friends very loosely because they were probably just the last two people that would like put up with me. Um, and I found that relationships that are based on drinking are just, you know, like Mine were very superficial, and I didn't really, oh, yeah. I, I don't think we enjoyed anything about one another, except for the fact that we never worried that we were going to call the other person and that they were going to be too, too busy to go to the bar and get drunk um, or, or get us there. Um, and so I called and just said, I need to get out. Like, you know, I probably had my hand on my, you know, my, my, the back of my hand on my forehead for me, for me. Um, I'm getting thrown out. Can we go? talk about it. Can we go whatever, basically like, AKA let's go get trashed. And, um, and they, we did. And we went to the, a, a local bar, um, something shamrock. I can't even purple. Sh- I don't even know. I guess it's irrelevant, but, um, the, the shamrock bars were the, like they, yeah. those are real bars, right? There's they no are. nothing pretty about them. It's just no, all about it, the it, drinking. It, yeah. And it was like, I was home, you know, cause like, and I think the Irish bars are very, um, I just loved them because they were so full of like anger and charismatic people and like, you know, and, and then we'd all get drunk and just tell each other how much we loved each other, you know, like, Oh, I love you, man. Like, you know, it was just, yeah. and I was, I really had like nothing going on in my life at that point other than, you know, waiting until I could go and experience that again. So um, having an excuse to do so was wonderful um, secretly, I'm sure. But anyway, I, so I, I called Stacey and Alicia and we went out to the bar and, and I remember um, I used to be like, or I used to think that I was the life of the party. Um, <laughs> like, it, you know, the, par- the party don't start till I walk in kind of deal. And uh, at the end of my drinking, I was like a buzzkill. And I was, I would just, t- I, would, I could not like not avoid my problems anymore. And when I started drinking, I was drinking to avoid my problems and then, and, dr- and getting drunk helped me to like put on the mask and like present as if. And at the end of my drinking, it was like a tr- like truth serum. It was disgusting. I turned into like that mess. And so I, you know, I, we went out to have fun 
and it just turned awful. It turned ugly at some point. Um, and I started, you know, talking about my problems and crying. And, um, and the more I talked, the more people were buying me alcohol to kind of, I think, appease me and, and maybe shut me up. Uh, so I talked all night and, and they bought me drinks all night. And, um, and at the end of that night, I, I told, you know, Stacy dropped me off. And I, I remember saying to her, this is the last time that anyone's ever going to ask me to leave. And I really honestly meant it. Um, and I went upstairs and in this woman's apartment and I, you know, I crawled onto the mattress on the floor with no sheet and, um, and I grabbed like a piece of paper and I started writing goodbyes to people. And I, I downed a bottle, a bottle of pills that I had had that I had been warned not to take with alcohol. And, um, and so clearly the bottle was full because I was drinking all the time. And, um, and I had this fear. I've, I've always had this really healthy fear of narcotics. Um, I guess it's a healthy fear. Maybe it's an unhealthy fear, but it kept me from a lot of scrapes. And so this. So you know, were a, you were a pure alcoholic. You just drank alcohol. You didn't use drugs. Yeah. Right. Wow. I mean, I smoked. I smoked weed a couple of times, but I'm like super paranoid. So I think I smoke weed. And I think people are trying to kill me, which is like not fun. You know what I mean? Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um. And so I'm like, and it's weird too because I think. With alcohol, I felt like I could control it um, because I could, if I, if I got too drunk, um, I could go into the bathroom and stick my fingers on my throat and vomit. And so I thought that, that that was like my way of controlling my buzz. And then, of course, I would like, I would lose my buzz and then I, or my drunkenness. And I had basically the way alcohol for me. I was always afraid of the shelf life. Like I knew that, you know, I was going to take this thing that someone was going to give me. And then I was going to be in this state of, in most cases, like with the weed, with paranoia for an undetermined amount of time. And that freaked me out because I couldn't throw up and just have it out of my system. I it had to go through my bloodstream and like all the stuff. And I just, I, I think I was just, I was nutty when it came to drugs. So um, I, I mean, and I think I've always, I've always been like the kind of person that if it said, you know, take, oh, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a freak about like mixing medication. Like I will call somebody and be like, is it okay to take Tylenol and Mocha? It's just, I'm insane when it comes to that stuff. And so I think that is lucky for me, um, raging alcoholic, raging alcoholic, but not so much with um, prescriptions or pills or even, you know, I mean, I, I take, too much Advil and I feel guilty and I wonder like if I'm going to like if I, am I going to die soon <laughs> that's that's really interesting and, and actually almost kind of unusual uh, yes. I find is is yes. um because you know al al alcohol obviously lowers our inhibitions and right. any I mean I never use drugs without alcohol I used alcohol mm -hmm. and I used drugs I never I mean I did I did use I did get stoned I did use marijuana, but it really didn't agree with me. Like I used to get mm -hmm. so paranoid. So I never mm -hmm. really, like I'd be drunk and then I'd do whatever. I didn't care. So that's really unusual yeah, and interesting. Right. Well, also keep in mind that I had, I was a mother already. And I think that that was really what did it for me. I think I had my daughter when I was 17 years old. I started drinking when I was 15. Um, wow. I think I was probably more careless in that two years. Um, then afterwards, afterwards, I had to be alive for her. And so I would be, I think, more responsible with, well, I mean, not with the alcohol, because that I really, I found that I lost control at some point, And I didn't, I would like set out to get buzzed. And I really literally have no idea what that means. Like, I don't think I've ever been buzzed, maybe for like five seconds, and then boom, like, obnoxiously drunk. But, um, and so I didn't, I always had that in my, the back of my mind that I like, even during the most ridiculous drinking binges that I would have, I would not let myself fall into, um, or like pass out, which is another thing I think with the, the, it was a, like a habitual vomiter when I was drinking, like it, it actually played into my eating disorder later on, but, um, it was like, I had to control my drink. Like I, would I couldn't control my drinking, so I had to control my drinking. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, and so 
I always had her in the back of my mind. So even if I was like drifting off into oblivion, I would think, you know, tell somebody, tell somebody that you, you know, that you are drifting or like it just, I became like really that obnoxious friend who everybody would say to me, like, I'm never getting you, like, especially with the weed, people would be like, I'm never getting you stoned ever again. And then they would, they would forget the definition of insanity, right? They would forget, they'd pass it to me and I would forget why I didn't want to smoke it. And I would, but um, yeah, I don't, I think that that was in like in my mind. And also I think the the pressure of perfection, the pressure of, because in my house, as long as it looked pretty on the outside, it didn't matter what was going on on the inside. And even during my worst drinking, like I, I did my best to present as if, um, to the point where on May 2nd, when I woke up from that, um, you know, having taken that bottle of pills intoxicated, I was so ill. I was like, ridiculous. I was sitting on the, just, I like never, I never want to forget it. Um, I was sitting on the toilet with a bucket in front of me, like vomiting. And it was coming out of both ends. It was green. I was so ill. Like, ugh. like I was, my skin was probably like green. Um, and just like, I was so just toxic and I called my pediatrician and I was 22 years old. So I hadn't like really talked to him in a was while. Your, was your daughter living with you? Were no. You looking at, no. Who was no. raising your daughter? Her, her father. So her I father. had, we had reached a point and, um, I reached a point in my drinking, I was living with my father. Um, and I reached a point where I realized that I could not be a full-time mom and drink the way that I wanted to. And the problem okay. with that is, and the problem with that entire scenario is that I always drink the way that I want to. And mm-hmm. so the solution to that problem was to give up physical custody of my daughter to her father. Um, and we did not have a healthy relationship by any stretch. Um, yeah. But I had no, I mean, and that was honestly because due to a hospitalization on um, I was in college um, and I was like, you know, working really hard on the outside exterior to make things look really good. And I was like, uh, meant, I was, uh, what do you call it? Um, majoring in psychology. Cause I was clearly, I was like going to counsel everyone with their problems. <laughs> so funny what we do, right? It's so I know. Uh, my story is very similar like that. Oh, yeah. And so I, um, I broke down cause I wasn't eating. Because I was the um, the anorexia and bulimia was really really bad towards the end of my drinking, really really bad. Um, And so I was, I went, I checked myself in. I had like a quote unquote nervous breakdown in the counselor's office that I was working in as work study for my college, and um, and they helped me to get check in somewhere, which was so hilarious. I mean, just like the irony of my life. Like I'm like, okay, so I'm not gonna fix you today. No, you're gonna fix me. Okay. and so I was there for um, approximately two weeks, uh, and they focused very much on my eating disorder. Like they were checking the toilet to make sure that I wasn't throwing. And I I was just not eating anything. Like I wasn't. I just mm-hmm. I was doing my best. But um, nobody was focused on my drinking, probably because I was, you know, nineteen or twenty. Um, I guess I don't know, or maybe because I lied when they asked me. But probably that. Uh, but. So very focused on my eating disorder. And then when I got out, I did not go back for my daughter. And so I had left her with her father because I, I wanted her to have some semblance of uh, stability and routine. And so I didn't want to give her to my mother or my father because they were off in different areas and my father's schedule was insane. So the best I could do was give her to her father. And, um, and when I got out, I did not go back for her. Um, I had a new boyfriend. I used that time as like my freedom time. You know, yeah. I think there was always a part of me in my drinking, a raging part of me that was like, I'm 19 years old and I am, I have a two-year-old daughter and like, I deserve to have fun and I deserve to this and I deserve to that. And I want to live my life and I want to. Um, and so I went back to my dad's house and I did not get regained custody of her and I didn't even try. Um, and after, I don't even know how many weeks her father went and, um, and, you know, basically said to the court, she, she's not coming back for her. So I'm going to go ahead and file for, um, you know, temporary physical custody. And I was a wretched wreck at that moment, right? I was so messy that there was no way that the judge was going to argue that I was a fit parent. No way that I was even going to argue. I, I did my best to try, but 
her dad's uh, a used car salesman, so he basically could turn the panties off a nun. And so even if I had had like any, um, you know, even if I'd had my stuff together, even the tiniest bit, I don't think that I would have left the court with her. Um, but so no, she was not living with me. And then after a while of not having her, uh, my dad actually threw me out. And that's when I, <laughs> so that's when I, um, I went to a party because obviously the, the solution to my father throwing me out of the house and not wanting, loving me anymore was to go get drunk. And, um, and I, I went to this hotel party um, where a, a high school friend was working and, um, and I met the boy. Um, he was 19 years old and I met him and, and he was the son of the woman who I was living with. So I moved in with, you know, we were drinking and I was telling him my sob story and we decided um, at the end of the night that it would be a great idea if I moved in with him and his mom and his two brothers. And so that's what we did. So, okay. So May 2nd, 2000, that's, I mean, cause 22 is so young. I was 27. So you were like barely legally drinking for a year. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I was, I was like similar. My rock bottom was about 17. I, I kept going for 10 years. Like I, I didn't exactly what you said. Alcohol and drugs were my solution. I just didn't have any other solution than those things. So I kept going with them and, until I couldn't keep going anymore. And I was uh, 27, uh, suicidal and just completely done. So what, what happened? Like what happened next? you wake up and then like, what was that first year? Like, what did you do? Um, so I, I went to a, a detox that was um, a couple of towns over and, um, and I, I don't know. I fought with the idea of being an alcoholic really. Um, I remember my mom came to visit me uh, after I'd been there for about two weeks. Cause it was back then, you know, as you know, it was like, a, I got a full 30 days of treatment which doesn't happen unfortunately anymore unless you're like a celebrity. Um, but anyway, so I, um, I went to detox and it was a dual diagnosis facility because it was, you know, I had attempted suicide and, um, and I just, I wasn't ready to process literally anything that was going on, but I was, I was ready to be kind of frightened into sobriety mm-hmm. because of, what I had done. And I knew that it, I knew for a fact that it was only a matter of time before I completed. I knew it. I knew that, I, that, that, that I was going to, if I didn't stop drinking, I was going to end my life. I knew it, that it was only a matter of time because I can't like the insanity of my alcoholism. And I do, I do consider myself an alcoholic. Um, and I do, I'm one of those people who do, I do believe it's a disease. Um, I have my own opinions about how it, like works, but, um, I don't use it like as like a, I didn't do it. My disease made me do it kind of a thing anymore, but I, I do believe that my, I have an abnormal brain and an abnormal body that processes alcohol differently than quote unquote normal non-alcoholic people. Um, and I, um, I totally lost my train of thought. I, I went to this, uh, facility and I was scared. Like I, I knew that, um, Oh, I was saying what kind of alcoholic I am that I, I'm, I like, I drink to escape the torture and, and like damage that I cause when I drink. Like that's, I don't, I do. that's, that's my cycle. I don't think that's a kind of alcoholic. I think that's a really good description of alcoholism. I right. Mean, well, I was not any even close to being functioning. Like I meet I meet people who are like quote unquote functioning alcoholics who drink alcoholically or right. whatnot and yeah. then go to work the I next day. I don't yeah. I'm like, what? Dude, yeah. what are you doing? Like no. Yeah. I I am so yeah. not functional when I drink that I can't keep a job. I can't I can't do anything except sit around and wait until I can drink again. Like I my my <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it, and I can't have relationships that don't, you know, like I will force myself into relationships in order to stay drinking. Like I'll be friends with people that I don't want to be friends with in order to stay drinking. Um, but like I tell people, cause I, with Sober Mommies, it's a nonprofit and I meet with women in Massachusetts and I have described my, my, like 
journey and my, my, the way that I drank and people are like, like, what is like, what is kind of wrong with you um, that you went to this lengths with alcohol, like alcohol is cheap. Like you just, and I was, cause I was like, I didn't have a job. I couldn't keep a job. I didn't have a job. Like I, I would just surround myself with people who I knew would be drinking because I couldn't, I knew I couldn't afford it myself. And it brought me to places and people that I was like, you know, like I was, I can't remember how old I, I was. I was, I, I really, I can relate to that. I was, um, yeah, I, my hangovers were so bad. Like I couldn't work the next day mm-hmm. and I, I'm so allergic to alcohol that I'm just so sick, like the same, like green bile. It's disgusting. Yeah. And I would kind of do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and recover like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, most of Thursday. So I never got fired from a job. I called in sick plenty. I always just managed to kind of skirt around it and like move on just before it, it got, you know, there was too much heat on me. I just move towns, countries, continents, jobs all of that kind of stuff um and I don't I never because I, I was kind of similar I was on my own from 16 and for me the job is where the money is and the money is where the alcohol is so it was like mm-hmm. the last thing to go I had to hold on to that because I couldn't drink otherwise right yeah and that was that's like drinking for me was breathing yeah. and I and I talk a lot it took me a long time to realize that um a lot of that had to do with with being a survivor of much trauma, um, which I, I didn't know that then. I, and I didn't know that well into my recovery. I was about 13 years sober. The first time um, a therapist admitted that they were unable to provide me what I needed and referred me to a trauma-focused therapist and that I was can, able to work through that. Can you say a little bit more about that? Um, about the trauma um, or about? Yeah, about the trauma, if you want, if you don't. Yeah, fine. sure. I'm a, I'm pretty open. Um, yeah, I, I so, um, it's, so it's, I mean, I don't even know where to start. So I'm, I'm adopted. And for the first five months of my life, I was in foster care. Um, my parents have always told me that I'm adopted. Um, and I didn't ever think of it as a, um, like a, a bad or negative thing, but because I never thought of it as a bad or negative thing, um, I always felt guilty for having bad feelings about it. Um, and okay. I didn't have anybody in my life that I could necessarily talk to about that because without like hurting somebody's feelings, like I couldn't be like, Hey mom, I'm really feeling like I missed my birth mother or like I missed out on something or whatever. So there's one, um, I was five years old the first time, uh, a grown man touched me inappropriately. Um, oh. I was, um, I have been in, I put myself in many abusive relationships that were uh, both physically and sexually abusive. Um, I was emotionally and, uh, and somewhat physically abused as a child in my home, very emotionally and mentally, absolutely bar none that happened. Um, and, and I think, you know, as much as I wasn't being beaten every day, there were, there was like psychological stuff going on. Um, and like at one point, like, uh, uh, the, my abuser tried to throw me down our cellar stairs uh, with my whole entire family and my high school friend watching. Um, so just a lot of, um, I don't know, from, from probably age eight to 13, or maybe even seven to 13, um, and there was a lot of like psychological, you know, warfare going on in my house. Um, and my, you know, I'm, I'm, I haven't written about this uh, but I plan to because I'm I am writing a book and it is a memoir and I'm I'm doing my best to kind of process all this stuff. Uh, wow. But I'm st- I have still have so much um, motivation to like protect them. Do you know what I mean? Like even though yeah. it's so it's so it's insane the way that that it, trauma works. But anyway, um, and then you know repeated. I just put myself in situations where all that stuff kept happening. And I, and I can look back and see why exactly I put myself in those spots because we accept the love we think we deserve. Um, and so I continued to seek out people who would abuse me. And when that, you know, when I couldn't, when I could no longer find anybody, I just continued to abuse myself until such time where I was, you know, suicidal. Um, and so 
there's a there's a, a lot there's a lot of of stuff um, you know, that I never uh, processed. That, I mean, that's just incredible. And I, I, that's what I've seen on your social media. I've seen uh, the stuff, your videos where you're uh, talking about your uh, birth mother and looking for her. And and what's really, you know, for everybody listening right now, what's really incredible about Julie is she's still in her 30s. She's in a really loving, committed relationship. She mm-hmm. has more children. She has purpose and meaning. and And it's like, even though I know you, I'm listening to that and going like, holy crap. Like mm-hmm. how does a human being survive all of that? I don't know. Like, ha- like, like, why are you not dead? Like, why are know. you not? I know. I, but it's like, and I, I don't know, like I just, you know, there's so many trite sayings, like it's a miracle and all that kind of stuff. But I'm mm. like, fuck. It's not. Like, it's actually, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work every yeah. single day. It's yeah. a lot of work. And so it's not a miracle. I mean, there's, there's, um, and it's, it found grace. Like I've, I've, I just wrote about this on uh, my, uh, my blog, Next Life, No Kids, that grace changes everything. I really have been able to provide myself with the compassion, um, that I would anybody else in the situation, my situation, because I had the ability to survive many, many things and, because of that, I'm kind of what I used to say broken, but now, you know, I mean, and I guess I could still use that word, but I've been able to piece myself back together very like piecemeal with the help of other women in recovery. Um, and I've talked about that on both blogs, Sober Romance and Next Life No Kids, that basically I've throughout the past 17 years, there have been many times that I've had, that I've fallen completely apart, that I've had to reach out to another woman um, and, and bring the pieces of myself that I didn't know what to do with and ask her to help me figure out where to put, like, do I want to keep this? Do I not want to keep this? Is this good? Or is this bad? How do I make peace with this? How do I, you know? Um, and so I've come to accept uh, certain things, certain aspects of my life and my mental capacity, um, which has not been easy, but I don't have a choice, you know, like being responsible for my life today means doing things that I don't want to do, whether I like it or not. And mm. so there are, I have bouts still of depression. Um, I have uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. And when things get out of control in my life, I try to control all that I can. Um, it comes in the form of germophobia uh, and, and sometimes turns into agoraphobia when I can't, which is fear of leaving the house. Um, but so and that's actually why I started Sober Mummies in the first place. I think that I've always had this drive that I can't, I don't, I mean, I know that there's a problem. I think probably, you know, getting sober via a 12-step program really helped me in that area because I'm constantly like aware that there is a solution. Even if I don't know what it is, I just have to find it. And I know that there are people around me that will help me. And that's how I've survived a lot of things. Um, yeah, I felt exactly the same way. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Like I, I knew that I, I really had this deep suspicion that life could be happy and fulfilling and joyous. And it was like a destination that I didn't know the route to, but I just had to figure out the route. If I could figure out the route, then I could get to that destination and that's what I eventually right. found in recovery. But I, I kind of, so there was a drive in me as well. It was like, I, I want, I really wanted to live and I really wanted to at least try and fulfill my potential. I, I really wanted to get to that place. It was just, we didn't have the map. Right. Well, and here, and I always have two, two options, right? I, I can either, um, and, and it, I mean, I could to quote from the book, like I could say, like, I, I can choose to blot out the consciousness of my intolerable situation or I can ask for help. And so there have been many times, um, like, and and sometimes daily, like I can either allow the things that have happened to me to change me into somebody that I can't stand, which I've done. I've done that a million times with a million different things and people and places and things, or I can take the things that have happened to me, um, and focus on the strength that it took to get through them and use that strength 
to better tomorrow and help other people in the process. And that's really what I've chosen to do. And because of that, I have less time to focus on my broken pieces and how they don't fit and all the glue that it requires to keep some things together um, and less time to think about me um, and more time to focus on really processing my pain to the point where it makes sense for other people, if that makes any sense. Like I, I have met women uh, through Sober Mommies and other, you know, just out in the world who are struggling with something that I can relate to. And they feel like I did when I was going through it, that they're the only person on earth that could possibly understand this amount of pain and loss and, um, you know, what the hell is going on with my life? What, what am I doing? Or, you know, abuse or, you know, all that, all that stuff. And they can't believe that there's a way out. And I remember, I know exactly what that's like. And I put myself in that position a, a bazillion times. And because I've been through those things and because I've survived them and because I'm on the other side and because I have this amazing life that I don't deserve, I really don't, I am able to say to them, it's going to be okay. Like I can, I can assure you that if you are willing to walk through some really painful stuff that you too can have this because we all deserve this. We all deserve to be free. And that's really, I got sober to be free. I did not, you know, I I don't want to be a prisoner to anything. You know, I don't, I don't want to be a prisoner to a substance. I don't want to be a prisoner to a feeling. I don't want to be a prisoner to my past. I just want to live and be free as, as free as possible to experience life and whatever comes down the pike and to share that with like other people. And so that's what several mommies has allowed me to do. And so, I mean, because here's the thing too, we all have purpose in this life outside of anything that we could possibly imagine. Um, and we don't, and we won't know that until it presents itself, you know, um, I didn't know. I, I, I really don't know anyone more uh, qualified to um, to start sober mummies than you, Julie. I mean, you've you've experienced being a, a mom at a very young age, uh, still drinking and 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 really suffering, and uh, getting sober and and having children in recovery. I I was 12 years sober when I had my first son. I was, mm. you know, it was pretty late I was 38 when I had my first child 42 when I had my second and um I'm you know I'm so I'm obviously very grateful for that I I have no idea how I didn't get pregnant when I was drinking and using in my teens and 20s I have no idea Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and you know even even with all the recovery I have you know parenting was like has been the biggest test of my recovery I mean Mm -hmm. I've had some really Last year was definitely the hardest year I've ever had in my recovery in my life. Um, it, you know, just we it, the test of just you know, even with a lot of sobriety under your belt and the stuff that I know, it's uh, the, these learning opportunities just don't stop coming. And I don't want them to, right? Because it's like the purpose of life. I, I'm, I'm, in my opinion, um, is like to. I mean, if life was always awesome and perfect and beautiful, I would, we would all be really bored, all really bored. Um, and, and, and we wouldn't, I can't imagine like what I would learn. Right. Cause I don't, I'm not like super excited about change when everything is rocking solid. Right. I'm not like, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm contented in my happiness and I don't necessarily the growth is not um, my number one, right? And But when I'm in pain and when I'm struggling with something, if something comes up to the surface, I know that something's got to change and that's what recovery means to me. Recovery means, you know, obviously like not drinking um, so that I can feel that thing, so that I can get uncomfortable, so that I can reach this point where I say, I don't have to live in this discomfort. What something about this situation is going to change me? What is like, what do I need to do to get through it? Um, and then I grow spiritually. Like I, I trust and rely upon God, which is that's like, you know, I know that not everyone believes in God and that's totally fine. Um, my, I have a, my faith, um, which I had, I mean, we can, we can have an entire podcast 
like an entire episode on like the relationship with, with God and how like it, it took me a ridiculous amount of time to realize, and this is, I guess, in, in relation to the trauma, that when it was time for me to do um, any of my steps that required any kind of faith or any kind of God or whatever, I struggled hardcore with that because my, I didn't trust God. I, I didn't, I was, it was, I was very much of the school of like, where were you? Like, where were you when those things were happening to, you know, you let things happen to me that little girls should never have to endure. Where were you? Um, And I was. That's not an unreasonable question. No, it wasn't. But because I mean, I'm like a recovering Catholic too, which is, I don't know if you want to get there, but I'm, I'm, I'm also, I grew up with this like punishing God. Like you don't disrespect God. You don't question God. You don't, you know, like, and, and so I, I was at that point where I was like, dude, no, like we're not having anything to do with each other. Let's just part ways. And then, you know, and then I find out, oh, you're, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, my solution is to find this power greater than myself. Oh, and you could call it God. And, oh, and I just stirred up all this stuff. And I was so angry. Like my first probably three years of sobriety, like I pranced around Cambridge, Massachusetts in a pair of oversized like huge overalls and like my hair on top of my head with like a scowl on my face, like bring it. Um, and throughout the last years of my drinking, I was fist fighting. Like, and I wasn't fist fighting girls my size. I was fist fighting like huge dudes in places that you don't even want to like be seen after midnight. Do you know what I'm saying? So I was, I was like, I was so angry all the time. And when I, when I reached this point where I was like, you know, basically somebody said to me, like, you're in this part of the steps where without this power, like you can't move forward. And I was like, what? That I felt cheated. I felt like this was like some sort of cruel joke. And luckily I had this amazing woman that was helping me through um, who, who, who said, she gave me permission to go to the middle of nowhere and scream my face off at God. Like, just let him have it, she said. Um, and that was the, honestly, like, I went, she said, go to your, your safe place, which I had. It was right down the street from the house that I grew up in. It's where I would go when shit got rough in my house. Like it was, it was where I would go to, I would, I would sit on the wall and I watched the waves come in and out and I would cry and I would like, just, it was like, I felt safe there. And I went there and I sat in my car and I let God have it. And I said, like, where were you here? Where were you there? Where, like, where were you? I, I needed you at A, B, and C, and you were nowhere. And you, how could you let this happen? And I was bawling, and I had boogers everywhere. It was just an, <laughs> an ugly scene, right? And I love I that was, image. And I was just screaming, and I, and it, it was, and you know, like I've given other women that permission, you know, that it's okay, like that God loves you no matter what, and if you need to go and give him you know, an earful, then go do that because he, I, I believe, and this is just my faith that he wants us to come to him with that stuff. And so I, it, it's unreasonable to think that I'm always going to be super thrilled with this entity or the universe when I don't always get what I want. Right. And so um, it's taken me a long time to be grateful that I never got everything that I wanted. <laughs> so let's say that, but, um, but so I, I was, I screamed my face off. I was like covered in like, you know, my own snot and tears and just, you know, probably mascara running down my face. It was probably like out of some really bad scene of a lifetime television for women movie. But, um, and I heard this, like, I just felt peace for a second. And I heard this voice say, um, I was, this is, this was me. And I saw visions. I started seeing like visions of um, the teacher in third grade who asked me if everything was okay at home. I'm probably going to get emotional while I talk about this, but I started seeing um, all of the people who had been placed in my life when those terrible things were happening to me. And that, um, and I heard God say like that, that was me, that, that I sent those people to you to help you through that thing. And it has taken me a long time in my, in my recovery process to realize the difference between God's will and human will. And that we all have, we, you know, we all have the right to not listen to that God voice inside of us. Like I have definitely raged against that voice. Um, 
And I can't blame any of the choices that I made in that state on God because I wasn't listening. I was doing my own thing. I was going to fix it myself, you know, all that stuff. I mean, I can blame God and I did try. Um, But today I know that 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 was my, I made those choices. And, um, And so I didn't always take the help that was offered in those times. Um, but it was like him, it was like, it was like an incredible, um, experience, uh, to just sit there and feel that, like that he had been with me all the time, that, um, in the form of other human beings trying to assist me in some way, whether that was just asking me, like, are you okay? Um, you know, and, 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 and just other like rock solid people who had been been placed in my life. Um, I, I have and, one of these uh, theories about uh, alcoholics. Is is part of part of being an alcoholic when we're still really in our disease? Is alcoholics really really want other people to be responsible for them? Oh my and, god, yeah. And what you're saying there is like you you wanted God to be responsible for causing all of these things in your life, you know, and, and that's, you know, that, and then in recovery, I think we can fall into the trap of them wanting people to be responsible for our recovery, you know, mm-hmm. make our the decisions for us, make the rules for us, what we should and shouldn't do and all that kind of stuff. And, and I just don't buy any of that, you know, and, and, you know, just to be really clear, the, the stuff that happens to you when you're a kid, the abuse, all of that kind of stuff that happens to, to anyone, that is definitely not your fault. No, no. Definitely, definitely not your doing. Right. No, um, I won't take responsibility for that, Jeff, but in no. my writing, like, and, and that was one of the things that I think kept me from, from writing and doing, taking inventory for a long time because I was, you know, because it, it was kind of sold to me as this, like, you're going to see your part in all this stuff. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. I don't have part in some of this stuff. And yeah. I found out that it, the the actual events were not my fault, but it was what I did with those things. It was exactly. how I, I exactly. brought them forward in my life. I I used yeah. those experiences to keep myself in the dark. I, I used them. I hid behind them. I blamed them for my drinking. I blamed yeah. them for this. I blamed them for that. I sought sympathy, um, you know, and and I beat and I tortured myself because of them and for a long time. That's the whole bit about choice and responsibility is that at a certain point as an adult, we are given the opportunity to see that we can choose how we respond, that that right. stuff happened and it was mm-hmm. awful. Right. But at some point we can choose a different response. Right. Well, that's I mean, what I said earlier, as far as like, I can take everything that I've, that I've experienced in my life and I can lump it into this big, you know, I could, I have every right to be a really, really angry person. I have every right to be, to feel cheated for the loss of all sorts of things in my childhood and having to grow up too soon and having to take care of people who were meant to take care of me um, and the Mm. neglect and the abuse and the choosing, you know, like I, I have every right to, you know, and people say there's no such thing as justifiable anger. Like I disagree. I do. I mean, I I can't, I, I cannot sit in it for very long, but I have every right to be angry. Um, I know that anger doesn't serve me. Uh, and so I have this choice. Like I can choose to, to lump all that stuff together and be really super angry and like justified in this anger. And, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I, always, I, I agree for me, like even now there's that justifiable, like there's, I have some issues around my son that he, he was lead poisoned last year from, mm the house that we were living in and it's a long story. We don't know what we're dealing with, but uh, lead poisoning in young children can cause um, irreversible brain damage. And, uh, you know, the anger I have around that, you know, it's justifiable fucking anger. You know, you harm my child. I'm going to be angry. And there's also a seduction of, of that feeling like being seduced into that feeling and really wanting to stay in that place because when I can justify it, like I can behave in ways that are unacceptable, 
But here, let me wheel out my justification because there ain't right. nothing you can say when right. I wheel out my justification. It is my exactly. shield. It is my yeah. armor and my shield against anybody challenging me, me having to change, me having yeah. to take responsibility. And I think what you're saying is like the same experience I had is like it doesn't matter if it was justified or not. I cannot live in that place. No. I just cannot live in that place. It's just well, too Here's what happens when I, live, when I live in that place, when I live surrounded by those, those angry feelings and the, that justification. What happens is I become abusive. And I feel justified in abusing you because if you only knew, you would take it. Does that make sense? Yes. Like I would, I, yes. I justify like, yeah. well, I've had this, this, and this happen to me and yeah. you're just, I'm just lucky to be alive and I will take this, you know, I will behave this way forever. And, yeah. and then yeah. I'm hurting people and then I'm feeling terrible and I just don't have that in me anymore. I don't, which is funny too, because, you know, I've been attacked uh, a number of times because I, of what I do. And I know that that doesn't make any sense, but so I basically, um, I do my best to assist vulnerable women who are struggling with substance misuse um, or just something in recovery um, or balancing the recovery responsibilities with motherhood responsibilities, all that stuff. And um, I run groups here and, you know, there have been people who have um, come to some conclusion that I'm like perfect, which is so baffling to me mostly because I'm just like very honest about how extremely broken and like chronically flawed I am but anyway um and so I have been attacked um my character has been attacked my motive has been attacked um I've been accused of many things um and so my first instinct when that happens is to protect myself right um mm-hmm. and so the old me, and I'm not that I have, you know, like, I really do feel like I, um, we have like the good wolf and the bad wolf in that, um, in that old proverb that it's like the the one that survives is the one you feed. Um, I, I cannot live, I cannot feed that part of me. I cannot feed into the fear because that's all it is, right? Somebody's attacking me. Somebody's saying this, that, the other. I'm afraid that the other people are going to believe them. I'm afraid that what they're saying holds any merit at all whatsoever. I'm afraid that um, that it's going to affect some sort of, I mean, I don't know. It's going to like, uh, right back to the, the uh, my turnarounds. Like, I'm afraid that it's going to take away something that I think is mine. I'm afraid I'm not going to get something that I want. I'm afraid of other people's opinions of me. I'm afraid of all this stuff. And I can't live there because it turns me into somebody that I don't like. And so, and it makes me also not want to trust, right? Because then I, there are many times where I've, my poor husband has to hear this over and over again. Like, I'm like, I'm done. Like I, you know, this is the six times this has happened. Like, what am I going to learn that putting myself out there is a terrible idea and that, you know, I, I just, not, I can't do it anymore. And he's like, okay. And then he's probably like, probably like 20 minutes later, you're going to be doing it again. And that's just, it's who I am. And so if I, they, those, those things and those fears only win if I allow them to change me into that person. Right. So this is like where I get, you know, and so I can't live there because I don't want to be there. I don't want, I really absolutely truly, because I can't experience happiness when I'm angry all the time. It's exhausting being angry all the time. I don't have, and being a mother too. I mean, let's be just clear about that. I don't have, (laughs) I can't. There's not enough coffee in the world. I just I just did a blog post yesterday on uh, sobriety, motherhood, and exhaustion, and how exhaustion really like. I mean, that was probably the biggest challenge is just like barely being able to shower, let alone work any kind of program or take care of myself. Julie, we've we've got just under just over five minutes left, and I wanted to just ask you a couple of things really quickly in just like thirty seconds. Tell me exactly, and I'll ring a bell. Okay. Tell me exactly what Sober Mommies is and your goals, just really fast. 
Oh, God. Um, okay. So, Summer Mommies is many things. Um, it started as a blog where women um, can share their stories, their reality-based stories. Like, we don't, there's no fluff. There's no, like, and then we rode off into the sunset and lived happily ever after. Like, no, recovery is hard. Recovery is work. It's not, if anybody tells you that recovery is easy, I want you to do the following thing. Put your running sneakers on and bolt get away from them. Like recovery is not easy. We talk about things on the blog and in the groups because we also have um, online support groups, which are 100% judgment free, meaning that no matter where you're at, we can have compassion for you and your situation and your choices, even if we don't necessarily agree with them. Even if we, you know, there's, there's a level of compassion in our groups and on our website where you can basically bring it whatever it is. And you're just going to be given somebody um, or a group full of somebody who want to give you a hug and tell you that it really must suck to be in that place, give you some time to process it, and then allow you uh, some resources or support in making the changes necessary to get out of that place if you are ready, if and when you are ready to get out of that place. Um, I just, it's basically the group that I always, that I needed when I got sober. And and just to help with the balances of motherhood and recovery, because I feel like when you become a mother, the the definition of any length changes. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's, it's not um, things, you know, my recovery routine changed when I became a full-time stay at home mom after I got married to this amazing man and, and got to live in this house and, you know, do these amazing things. Um, my kids go to bed at seven o'clock, which is when, you know, the meetings that I was mostly loving and attending were, and I don't want to miss out on, you know, all those nights of putting them to bed and singing to them because I know that that is short lived, that they're not always going to want me to sing to them. <laughs> they're not always going to let me live okay, with them. So- if anybody's interested in Sober Mommies, it's SoberMommies.com, and yes, there's a Sober Mommies Facebook page and a secret group. How would they join yes. the secret group? So they can go to our uh, our website, SoberMommies.com, uh, click on groups, online support, okay. and then Facebook. And um, it's pretty, I think it should be self-explanatory. And if it's not, please, I hope somebody will reach out to me um, and let me know if it's not user-friendly. But okay. my, my email address is Julie at SoberMommies.com. So please feel free to um, send me your thoughts or if you're struggling to find something. Um, we also have an Ask a Sober Mom, um, which is a new uh, tool that we're using where women can ask questions anonymously. And, um, and I do my best to either respond in a blog post or a Facebook live in the group. There's a ton of support out there, and you're doing yes. a really amazing job in that. Thank so we you. have and two we minutes women left. Of, of, oh, sorry. We, we also support women of all um, recovery pathways, too. I want to make that really okay. clear. It's not yeah. just all the recovery, yeah. all the things. Yeah. Yeah, that's really important. We we embrace, we have a, a broad, broad road here of recovery, yes. whatever is working for you. So Julie and I are going to be doing uh, regular podcasts. I kind of want to say weekly, but I know with our like five <laughs> or six children between us, that may be a little challenging. But uh, very quickly, we're going to be talking on a lot of subjects. Probably next week, Julie's going to be asking me a whole bunch of questions about my recovery. Yes. Um, and then we're going to talk about what are we going to talk about, Julie? parenting oh, all the things all the things let's talk about all the things and we'll all talk about things. what nobody else wants to talk about that's my goal like let's talk about all the things um okay yeah all the things. we're going to be talking about sex and sobriety relationships yep. mental yep. health yep. all of that kind of stuff if you yep. want to contact me you can find me at veronica valley that's v-a-l-l-i.com i'm also the author of why you drink and how to stop and get sober get free um i'm gonna i'm so looking forward to all the collaborations that Julie and I have uh, together. We're also, we're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, Veronica Valley. Instagram, I think it's SoberGirl1. Are you on Twitter? I am. I'm in, I may have like three accounts though. So (laughs) you can basically, uh, all my contact information is um, on SoberMommies.com under about the founder. Okay. And just quickly, how did you like our little, I'm hoping it's going to play at the end. Did you like our little intro music? How was that? I do like it. It's like dark, but like also, I don't know. I like it. 
I really like that line. I can't, what was it? That's anyway. That's my best friend Sarah Gillespie, who's an incredible, just <clears throat> mind-blowing singer-songwriter. She tours all around. She's got three or four albums out. And if you're interested in hearing any more of her music, that's sarahgillespie.com. So Julie, oh. it was great talking with you. Oh my and, gosh, that was amazing. And uh, I'll speak to you again next week. Thanks all for right, joining awesome. us on the Real Deal. Bye guys. Stopped recording. Can you hear me? Yes. I, I, yeah. I, was, I mean, I blocked myself. I muted myself. Okay, so it okay. stopped. It definitely stopped. Yeah. It's <laughs> not recording. Let's do it.